everyone, welcome to the Fluxus Animo podcast. Today I'm here with Chaitanya Kadamasetti, who will also be my co-host on this podcast. Um, and, and this podcast is mainly about topics, wh- whatever flows to our mind. You know, we're following the Fluxus Animo theme and trend, but oddly enough, we'll be criticizing some trends in society today. It's funny because, uh, you know, we're just typical university students. We're part of the system. So it's going to be interesting to see what the inside perspective is, so to speak. So with that being said, hi, everyone. I'm Chaitanya Karamasetti. I will be the co-host of Foxes Animo. So with that being said, let's get right into it and begin with our musings. So the first topic that we want to talk about today is we want to talk about the schools of thought relating to philosophy. So philosophy is undoubtedly a broad thing and it's not something that you can define so easily so sonny how are we gonna begin by talking about this what do you think we should start off with on our conversation throughout modern philosophy yeah so i think the main thing with youtube and all um while it keeps us company and and in a sense there's also a level of uh philosophical or productivity youtubers that are coming out recently that are gaining in popularity Mm-hmm. One common theme that ta- that comes through is Stoicism. Um, you know, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, all of these guys, um, since the Roman times, have been uh, sort of allowing for complete control of emotions, um, allowing for uh, not being, you know, brought up or stirred by all of the things that are happening going on in your life, and making sure that you stay in control in what you can control while also making sure that you're not worrying about what you can't control. I think in practice, that's a good philosophy, but I think that productivity YouTubers and current society is taking it to sort of a romanticized level. Um, And not many are talking about the realistic sides of it, how the struggles are going on. And it's easy to do with um, edited content, but also, we, we do need some representation and visualization of what it really means to be a Stoic. Um, and yeah, the, those are kind of my thoughts on it to start off. So it's interesting. So where do you think the cutoff between Stoicism and apathism kind of is? Because in today's society, I have a feeling that a lot of similarities apply between being stoic and being apathetic because people can't outwardly tell the difference they're more like oh okay this guy just doesn't care but in reality i'm just choosing not to let the current situation take over like take me over so how would we can kind of consider the idea that apathism i don't even know if that's a word but being apathetic versus being stoic where do you think we draw the line and what do you think are the defining characteristics of being stoic versus being apathetic Yeah, so I guess modern guide to stoicism is making sure that you're in check of your most radical emotions. And I think people don't talk about the emotion as a spectrum. They just kind of talk about, you know, reduce your anger, reduce your um, overly uh, aggressive tendencies and also frustration. But they don't talk about how it's a spectrum that you can tune it rather than control it completely. And I think that has to be Um, a deviation from the ancient Stoics that were, you know, talking about complete control over your emotions. I, you know, that's, that's probably like uh, Chetan has said this before, it's, it's uh, almost virtually impossible to control your emotions in a whole new way, unless you do it synthetically. 
Um, and I also do want to say, I'm sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but I also do want to yeah. say the, the reality that we live in is not the reality that the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans lived in. So I, I dare say that we have godly levels of power compared to what they expected back in the day. So you can't necessarily, it's like the whole thing, right? So the Romans and the Greeks had a different expectation for the gods as compared to human expectations. And I would argue that we are in, we have godly levels of power in the modern era. So another question arises, do we follow the olden trend or the olden expectations of philosophy when we are no longer in the traditionalist point of view and it's just a completely different society with completely different power rules? In one way, can we be considered the gods of our new philosophical era? Yeah, I would say in a sense that if you talk to an ancient Greek about, you know, I have a, I have a computer in my hand and I can Google it. I, I wouldn't even use the word Google. I would I can search for the answer and this tiny computer in my hand will give it to me. Uh, you know, that's that's mind blowingly profound. If someone told me that they had a quantum computer that could tell me the answer to life, at, you know, at a click of a button, you know, I would think they were God. Yeah, um, like a good, good shot. Like, OK, totally. But then once you actually show them, that, hey, the meaning of the life is purple. Like, oh, shoot. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think we do need to also adapt it to our current level of society. Um, for, you know, the biggest thing that, that plagues our society today is probably FOMO. Um, FOMO is huge. The um, fear of missing out. Yeah, absolutely. With, with social media, um, people are saying, um, you know, they post pictures of a party that they went to. And the, the, the most common thing is sometimes like, all like a couple of your friends go together um but they're like in a certain friend group so they only invite each other uh, and then you feel missed out even though you know let's be real as introverts sometimes you didn't even want to go to that party you know yeah but you still feel bad because it's posted on social media it's getting some likes it's getting some comments um that's one thing that stoicism can't deal with um, another thing um that I, that i was also thinking about is mm-hmm. um you know, publicizing, like there's a level of humility that has been gone. Like humility is not common anymore. So mm-hmm. how can you be stoic if humility is a minority in the in society? So um, I wouldn't argue that humility is gone. I just feel like it takes more to humiliate people nowadays. So we basically lived our lives on social media growing up, right? So we're university students in the year 2021. So a fair part of our secondary and post-secondary education has been influenced by social media, the quarantine being one one thing, right? So we are living in a virtual world. And the fact that we are not in direct confrontation with somebody is kind of insane because there exists a level of humility that's just not there. So it's easier to do stupid things when you're muted and you don't have uh, someone actively looking at you through video or looking at your face. But now that level of humility is gone, even though we're losing our minds on private, you can't really see from the other end that someone's losing their mind, whereas that humility factor would be there in real life. So the question now arises, is it, or is it just taking more to humiliate us or are the standards just so astronomically high in, in, in normal terms of speaking that humility just doesn't hold that level of importance anymore? Yeah. Um, I think humility 
in a sense. Uh, so what I'm referring to is like being humble. Okay. Uh, uh, but I, I also see how that that's a definitely another aspect of humility where you have to be, I, I, in a sense, you have to reserve. Yeah, that's another level of politeness. Uh, is it good to now like share your, share everything that's going on in your life, good or bad? Uh, I know in some cultures, especially Indian culture, that um, humility, if you don't have humility, then it feels like people are like bad vibes towards you. Um, <laughs> if you brag about stuff, that's what, that's what a lot of the Indian grandmas say. Um, so you know, I, I don't know. Honestly, that's right. Um, I don't know. I think it's the idea of shifting dynamics because as much as I agree, and I do think that the ancient Greek philosophers are amazing and that they truly do have some excellent points. But now my thinking is like, there was a certain level of circumstance that led to the existence of nihilism, let's say. So there were certain factors and certain things that were happening. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not the best at history. I believe nihilism was prevalent during World War time, like World War One, World War Two. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Okay. But... So I, I would think that there are level, like there's some circumstances that did eventually contribute to the idea of nihilism. So now I, I don't know. I wonder, is it possible that we are developing another school of thought in the age of social media? I would, don't want to say socialism because obviously that's not what that is. But I would even want to say mediaism in terms of the school of thought that we're currently possibly developing as we speak. So the idea of schools of thought, right? Like they develop as a result of generational like change and generational differences in experience. So what does it take to establish a school of thought? And how are we experiencing a, a change in schools of thought right now? Are the traditional models of schools of thought still working? Or, or do you think that there's something else going on here that we don't really know about? I think the lines between schools of thought are blending or merging together. There, I, you know, initially it was called schools of thought, I think, because you would follow a certain philosopher, become mm -hmm. their disciple, and then learn based on that. But if our mm -hmm. school is so assimilated, right, uh, into mm -hmm. a unified curriculum and all of this, um, there's, because of the power of the internet too, people can come up with their own schools of thought on this. So there could be millions. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I think it's just a matter of, can you gain a following um, maybe the current school of thought is like related to business where like, oh yeah, respect the grind, hustle culture, like Gary Vee and all of that. Um, maybe that's the prominent school of thought now where it's like, I want to be like entrepreneurism probably is a new school of thought. Um, entrepreneurism. Yeah. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, they want to make money. Um, but then again, maybe stoicism will help them cure that because, um, I also want to briefly talk about, and I probably expand on this in, a, in the next podcast, where, um, have you read about the study where $75,000 or more, like once you reach $75,000, um, like a yearly income uh, per, per person who's contributing to the household, you don't really feel a sense of um, increased happiness afterwards. Really? No, I haven't actually read that. Tell me more about it. Yeah, so... Basically, what the study was talking about is um, you know, they, they surveyed people who had varying levels of income but and had them rated on a happiness index. Um, and there's also a course on this on Coursera by Yale, um, which is really good. I, I think it's called the Science, the Science of 
po yeah, positive power or something like that. Yeah, Science of Positive Psychology um, by Laurie Santos. I do know the professor's name. Um, and mm. yeah, they, they found the happiness index and that measures like a change in happiness before and after the study or uh, before and after monitoring your happiness levels. And you know, there wasn't a market increase after 75,000. I think you can just buy more cool stuff after 75K. Um, <laughs> but if you budget well, I think you can still get those good stuff. Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's a catch-all statement to say, oh, but just budget well. Um, but Yeah. Yeah. So, because I always see like on the internet, like people always say, oh, money can't buy happiness. Oh, this and that. I hate to be that guy, but we know that money can buy happiness to a degree, or at least I am of the opinion that it can. So at the very least, I have a feeling money can solve a couple of your problems that are money involved, but whether or not it can solve your crippling marriage, well, that's a separate issue. So the issue here, and now the thing that I think is really interesting though, you talked about the idea of entrepreneurism being a new school of thought. So do you think that students like us or people in our generation, generation before, even the generation after, do you think that we're embracing more of an entrepreneurial mindset in terms of, yeah, go out there, go get some stuff and uh, invent something new, become rich, do whatever? Or do you think we're becoming more solution oriented and we're trying to figure out like, how can we use our powers for good or for bad, depending on the spectrum, the side of the spectrum that you fall on? And profitize that as like an incentive to do good or do bad in the world yeah i don't know i we have to wait and see what's happening because i think I, i'm seeing this trend only in the last like six years um where everyone wants to be an entrepreneur um before it was uh, uh, before i i think it wasn't as popular but with the advent of social media mm -hmm. uh, it just like exploded um in terms of that so uh, if it gets mellowed um, you can probably start to see trends, but I think it's just like a hype train right now. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of profitizing, I think it needs to be um, more controlled in how people view entrepreneurism. Um, it shouldn't just be about gaining material things. Um, you're you're quickly going to out outgrow that. People say like, I'd rather cry in my Ferrari. Um, <laughs> but come on, like if you have a Ferrari, but you're in crippling debt, um that says more, not in debt. yeah that says more about your situation than it does about your wealth right yeah um in a sense like they would say oh i have paper like oh in the stock market i have this this amount of gains and i'm still holding right um but you don't once you sell that you don't uh what if if you don't sell that that's called paper gains right so mm -hmm. um or your unrealized gains right yeah, unrealized gains. And then they say like, oh, okay, while I have these gains, I'm just going to go buy it. Like, so short-term gains to buy short-term things is not going to have long-lasting success or happiness, right? Right. Um, if, if someone's goal is to be happy, and that's different from hedonism, not like the hedonism is pleasure rather than happiness. Um, then I think the goal should just be to do what you want to do rather than like do something in order to gain money to buy stuff that you want. Uh, that has to be the, the change. So it's almost like um, money should enable you. It shouldn't necessarily be the sole item that yeah. propels you to become successful rather. So you would think, oh God, I need money to like, you know, pay the bills and do this and do that. And because of all of this, I can't pursue my passion, which if you ask me, is 
probably a, a fate that's worse than hell. So I don't know. Um, I don't think that we should try to withhold passions for the sake of money unless, well, I don't know, your passion involves having a lot of money, like collecting cars or doing this or doing that. But it, it's interesting because people always make jokes about millennials and people always make jokes about how, you know, us and our avocado toast and our Starbucks coffee every day. But how much do these things really contribute to an actual level of debt, right? I don't think you're going to, now I'm not a millennial, but I highly doubt I'm going to go get avocado toast and Starbucks. By the way, I'm stereotyping here because I don't know if those things are actually true. I don't think I'm just going to go and spend my entire bank account on that. But there's this generational gap that I think a lot of people are just now realizing exists or, well, call me young, but I don't really know if that's existed before. But what are your thoughts on that? I know I'm asking a lot of philosophical questions, but considering we're talking about philosophy, I feel like it's only only valid that we do so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of um, business gurus talk about like, oh, stop spending money on Starbucks and avocado toast. But I think in the grand scheme of things, you're not like spending insane amount of money. If, if a Starbucks drink, I know some people who a Starbucks drink gives them a lot like food, gives them a lot of happiness. Right. Why not spend on that? Right. But then the, the thing is, you should also cut out the other things that you're spending on in order to like funnel it towards um, the things that actually make you really happy. So I think if you want to find happiness, you try out a bunch of different things and then funnel your money. So money enables you to do stuff, right? You mm-hmm. funnel your money, your resources, your time. Time is a huge resource. Oh, yes. I think that, yeah. So like, make sure that you, you budget that well too. Um, and then funnel it towards things that you actually enjoy. Yeah. I think that's really fair. I think that's what, honestly, that's the end goal, right? So you want to be able to enjoy your passions. You want to be able to enjoy your life. I mean, Hey, it's your life, but everyone does have obligations and things that they need to fulfill. Now we're focusing just specifically on money here. So money is definitely one of those things that it's a hit or miss. Everyone does different things with it. I mean, hey, it is it is the basis of our society. Say it, say it as you will. Mm-hmm. But I think that we're just, we're in changing times and changing, we're in changing times and changing philosophy. So it's a little hard for us to concretely define what we think our philosophy regarding money is, mainly because we have people like people on Wall Street Bets who are just, you know, it's half a meme and a half an attempt to just take back yeah, the from money hedge funds. market. Yeah, from yeah, hedge funds. That's, it's showing another level of the power of the internet. Um, mm-hmm. So related to like money use as well as like happiness, um, prestige of, of the institute, like we're college students, right? We're mm-hmm. university students. Um, we go to a, a state public school, um, arguably one of the top 100 in the country, but still, you know, it, it's a state public school. People would often you know at least in america people would often look down on their state institution and say like oh damn uh, i'm going to like yep look where i ended up (laughs) yeah yeah in reality of course like there is a level of pride that we do feel and uh yeah but go on (laughs) yeah yeah so you know coming to the school and feeling the pride and also a level of like what the pandemic has showed and i want to segue into this is does the prestige of an institution really matter if you're not gaining the knowledge or 
you know, it, you're gaining the knowledge, but then it, it finds out that someone has more knowledge and more experience than you. So then your institution doesn't help you at all. Um, so wh- what do you think about, um, does prestige of the, the school or the institution that you went to really matter? Or should people be focusing on um, something else like gaining actual knowledge or going to see mentors at a university that are the best in their field or um, what works financially? Like, what do you think is um, what people should look out for when they're choosing a university or feeling down on their situation in a sense? I feel like some freshmen might think that. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. As you go through school, um, mm-hmm. it kind of gets mellowed. But yeah, yeah, I just wanted to know your take on it first. So that's a good question. Now, just a disclaimer before we begin. Um, the views that are in this podcast, the views that we are saying are our views and they do not respect or they do not reflect the views of, of the university that we are part of. So we're just a couple of college students musing. Please don't take us seriously. But with that being said, I think that even though traditional education has had a huge role in society, in our society and in our lives, there's a level of unnecessariness kind of that we or in necessity that we have within traditional education. If you ask me, I have a feeling that part of the journey and part of the need of higher education and university level education is a social factor. So whether you're a commuter or whether you are a transfer, whether you are a freshman, whether you are living on campus, you go to college for an ideal social situation as well as the pursuit of knowledge. So part of the fun, at least in my opinion and my experiences, and I am only just beginning my university path, but part of the things that I have experienced, um, most of the learning that I have done has come from social situations, learning how to behave in a social situation, learning how to make friends and learning how to build my network and learning how to basically set my life up socially and politically almost to a degree to where I want to go. So I happen to have that clarity because of my experiences in life. I didn't know I'm currently pursuing a degree in management and information systems, but I didn't learn that I have an interest in that field because of any form of education. I personally got curious and I wanted to experience um, experience the world of IT and informatics because I thought it was just damn interesting. School didn't teach me that, but just because it didn't teach me that doesn't mean that it's the terrible medium and school can never teach people how to do things. That's not the case. So the question here is it depends on what interests a child. And I think what interests a child should be the main focus on universities rather than trying to keep up a grade or trying to become an overall performer because I would much rather be able to perform excellent in a single area where it would be vital to my career and succeed in my career than have to do random studies in places that I don't want to devote my time and resources because as you said Sonny time is a huge factor and probably the most valuable resource that you could possibly get so with that being said I think that we should, we as a society should begin to reevaluate the role of higher education. I'm not saying discourage higher education, but I'm saying reevaluate how we administer higher education. Because if there's anything that the pandemic has proven, it's that we have the power as a society to adapt to circumstances. So hopefully this adaptation of online university and online learning has shown a couple of people within society who were previously traditionalistic in their view that we are a sign of changing times and things need to change so 
the question once again arises now i know i like saying that but a lot of questions do arise from this how do we change the fundamental of our education system and just to answer your original question sunny i think rather than prestige yeah i think what you do in your college matters way more Absolutely. I don't, I don't care what you, what call, this is me personally. I don't care what college you've been to. You could have gone to Harvard or you could have gone to a random university in the middle of a lake. I don't know. But as long as I have proof that you have drive and determination and that you are somebody who actively pursues knowledge and craves capitalization on curiosity and you are taking steps within your power to do so, I think that's more valuable than just being a bicomer at any top name university. Now, I'm going to let you talk for a bit, Sonny, because I have been talking for quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no but, worries. No, I, but, I'm just, you know, taking it in. Yeah, but tell me, what are you, what led you to come to that conclusion? What do you think is, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I want to touch on um, one of the authors that I read, the authors and I guess um, modern philosophers of our time, I would call him the modern philosopher, is... Malcolm Gladwell. Um, he talks a lot about, he, he wrote books like David and Goliath, um, Outliers, um, Talking to Strangers recently, that was his most recent book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what he really talked about is, um, he, he did a quantitative study on why he thinks this way, is prestige of the institution actually hurts some students um, in some case, where um, say you're in a STEM, STEM field and publications are huge, for undergrads and as well as grad students. Um, and you go to someone, someplace where Harvard, um, based on average SAT score, if you score like a 1460, you're average to below average at Harvard. While if you go to a le- way lesser known school that also has high research output, you're, and you would be in the top one for like top 25%. That means that you're publishing more papers than the average student at Harvard. And it's actually an advantage to you that you're at a state public school or even you know a small private school that still does like niche research. Um, so yeah, that what you do at that institution is a huge factor. And especially with the online pandemic, you know, well, what's the difference between me going to um, Harvard and getting an online class and something um, with all the technical difficulties as well as going to um, uh, state public school and getting that same same information because they both use the same textbook. Um, and also that the Coursera courses are increasing dramatically and you can pay like $65 and then, you know, get a, get a certificate in that program rather than college credits. Um, if, if it's something that you don't want to minor in or anything and you just wanted to learn that information, I think knowledge has been democratized in, you know, immensely. So, but I also want to, yeah, one, sorry, one last thing. No, uh, no, 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 go for it. Uh, there is also a level of, I want to discourage groupthink. So Chaitanya and I think very similarly, but we also have depo- opposing views from time to time. Yes. Which is totally healthy. And I want to make sure that anything on this podcast going forward does not encourage groupthink, where it's like, oh yeah, you know, th- I think this guy's really cool. Even if I kind of don't dis, uh, kind of disagree with what what that person said, um, I'm still gonna follow him because yeah, you know he seems knowledgeable or whatever. Um, uh, so, in a sense, you know that totally 
I want to make sure that group thing is not on this um, podcast, but yeah, prestige of the institution does not matter. And I used to be a gunner, you know, that I was third ranked in high school. Um, I really cared about grades and the rank of the schools, the Ivy League, um, and then the top 20 schools as well. Um, mm-hmm. But coming to college, you know, I, I came to a state school on a decent scholarship. And, you know, saving money was uh, probably the biggest thing. And also, Rutgers has increased um, its reputation dramatically. So I, I really liked it. And again, Chetan, like Chetan, you said, um, mm-hmm. my views are not attached to Rutgers at all. Uh, these yes. are my own views, but still, I, I think the um, prestige of the institution is necessary. To of course. That ball, yeah. Yeah. So just hopping off of that. So I do share the similar background to Sunny here. So, however, and this is where we are different. And while it is excellent to have similar views and similar backgrounds, our differences define us. And I think that's excellent. So back in high school, I was not necessarily the top student. I know, truly revolutionary considering the way I talk. But at the same time, I wasn't necessarily the person who, I wasn't on top of everything, but I was part of a magnet program. And while this magnet program, which focused on business and information technology, was truly of a high standard, I felt incredibly mediocre and incredibly low throughout my high school experience. And Sonny mentioned earlier, now we talk about we talked about Malcolm Gladwell and a couple of his books. Now some a concept that I want to outline that I want to talk about, which he mentions in David and Goliath, which by the way is an excellent read. He talks about being a big fish in a small pond versus a small fish in a big pond. So you need to ask yourself, what would you rather be? There are certain benefits to being a small fish in a big pond because you may argue, hey, I have so much diversity, so much exposure, but what are you getting out of it? Think about what you're getting out of it compared to what you're putting in. And on the flip side, now I wanna say this, I am neither encouraging nor not advocating for either of these perspectives. So it's like what Sunny said, please think on your own perspectives and don't let us think for you. But think about being a big fish in a small pond and think about the dominance that you may have. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm not saying that I am the absolute Chad and I am not a, you know, God among men, but at the same time, you must consider relative experience levels and relative thought process processes that leave you in your current state. So I am also a student at Rutgers University. I'm currently on a different campus compared to Sunny here. So my experiences with the state school are a bit different purely because the campuses are different. But I also had, an, now even though I was not exactly the star of my high school, unlike Sunny here, I had good opportunities and I had a decent level of intelligence and thinking, even though I thought that I myself was not smart which just wasn't the case. So my perspective was warped as a level of prestige. The prestige of my high school was so high that no matter what I did felt tiny and felt unachievable compared to a couple of my peers. So I was comparing myself, a prince, to a level of great kings, which I couldn't do. And I didn't get to see the inherent abilities that lay inside of me until I reached a breaking point. So the question here is are we going to achieve a breaking point like is it going to take a breaking point for us to reveal our true talents and our strengths by going to a big school or are we able to refine that talent 
from the get-go as soon as we go into a small school. Both approaches have their criticisms and both approaches have their benefits. However, there is a lot of talk that can be taken and a lot of things that can be said about these two different approaches. So Sunny, what do you think about that? I know, once again, laid a lot of information, but what do you think? Yeah, big fish in a small pond is absolutely, and even Malcolm Gladwell was talking about that. Yeah, you do have to be a big fish in a relatively, you know, you, you also have to see like, and this is probably for high school students, but also like people who are going back to school or, or in other situations besides um, school, like, um, you know, a prestigious program, like an internship program or, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, where you have to see like, okay, here are my strengths. Do I stand out in a certain pool and not in others? And that's the distinction. And also at the same time, I, you know, Chaitanya is kind of underselling himself. He went from, you know, feeling not confident about his studies at all to consistently scoring 4.0s in college. And that has to be super competitive, uh, commendable. Thank um, you. <laughs> so we have to talk about, it's all about mindset. The mind is very powerful, um, but it's also mm-hmm. a strategy um, in pr- refining yourself. Um, so if you work on the person, you know, where you are anywhere in life doesn't define you. And at the same time, when you're applying to stuff within a pool, you also have to think statistically how it works. Um, and that's one strategy. Um, but like I said, like the the concept of due diligence, which is a big thing, but in stocks recently, mm-hmm. not recently, that that's, sorry. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a thing for a while. <laughs> so, I mean, people have gone off the rails in Wall Street bets because of that, but really yes. it's due, due diligence, but that's in anything, like our mind. So stoicism, going back to that, briefly stoicism about making rational decisions and if we if we take the rational part of that stoicism which i think is called rationalism now yes uh, making rational decisions is really tough because you know you're still a someone who's bound by emotions but also at the same time um yeah make rational decisions by gaining all the information out there look strategically about what you're planning to do. And I, we're talking about this abstractly. So let me give you an example. Like say that you want to um, get into a program in general, program, program to study, program to learn stuff. Um, you need to look, well, what are your strengths? Um, say you're really, so say you're going to music program and Juilliard is not, um, you feel you can't get into Juilliard, which could, you could also be realistic. You don't have to pull yourself down, but you can, if you want it to be realistic, you can, but also shoot for the moon, always. Always. Um, uh, but you can also apply to other schools and say like, hey, uh, I mean, other programs, I, I would say Juilliard is more of a music program um, because uh, it cultivates level, but uh, I'm digressing. Anyway, <laughs> you, you check what your strengths are, where you are, and you can always improve, but that does take time. Um, so where are you now in time? Um, what are your skills? And then you apply it that way. Um, there's also like in a future episode, I do want to talk about the third door. Um, we should talk about that, which is like gaining opportunities in life, not through the mainstream channel or the less or the more hidden channel, but there's a third way. Um, and Mm -hmm. I do want to talk about that uh, in the future, but that's kind of like how society works, I guess. Um, but the, the pattern recognition and statistically looking at it is more like 
I guess, empirical in a sense, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, you bring up a very good point um, because I know that like when we, and this applies to like internships and gaining experience in our, our competitive society, we always feel like we're a small little data point or we're a little string of numbers in an infinite universe of numbers and data and we're continuously like quantifying ourselves to degrees that we don't feel healthy so which is natural i mean come on like you need to define yourself to a degree right but Mm -hmm. at the same time we look towards the system as being something that we could potentially score in or something that we could potentially gain but we never stop and think about why the system has become so competitive we don't quite think about how there are so many data points with so many varying interests that we never even stop and think of the possibility that maybe all of these data points are better attuned to different things. So if you ask me it, why I chose the information technology sector as my career path, I can tell you about my interests. I can tell you about this and that and how I want to become the next Elon Musk or become the next, uh, I don't know, Steve Jobs and create a revolutionary product. But let's be realistic here. A lot of people do it for the money. So mm. people are so focused on the money and people are so focused on trying to go the traditional path that anything not traditional seems almost taboo. So anytime you want to be revolutionary and anytime you want to be different, it's almost, well, depending on your environment, it could be possibly it could be possible that you're actively discouraged from going away from the status quo and going away from being normal. When in reality, the things that make people great is their deviation and faith from the normal. So this goes back to the idea that we as a society are not being rational. We're not practicing rationalism to the degree where, well, and once again, this is purely opinion and this is not to be taken seriously. And please do not like write a Bible and cite me as an author. But at the same time, why are we deviating so far away from the idea of rationalism? And we don't think, is there something wrong with the way that we perceive success in today's environment? What does it truly mean to be successful? Well, you have a better shot of answering that question if I try to ask you the same thing. Like, what does it mean to be philosophical? There's no concrete definition. So why are we trying to concretely define success as something like money, fame, and power? Why? Or So, so in a university sense, that would also be like, oh, I gain all the like top, I, I, or not even university, like new hire type stuff. This is a wisdom that you learn later. Like wisdom is based on like experience, but mm-hmm. we want to fast track that too for, for our listeners or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, um, you know, the company that you work for, it should not be like, you shouldn't attach yourself to a company or, or like a, a big shot internship. I'm sure that you do make more money, but the experiences at a small institution or even like starting your own initiative like we're trying to do is vastly more like different than like working in an established company i just wanted to add that no absolutely so i'm not i don't want to go too deep into consumer loyalty or you know company loyalty because the reality is that these things change as you go on like as as sunny has said so don't think too much about selling your soul to a company and working 
chances are that if you're not doing that already, that you're going to be doing that in the future. Woohoo capitalism. But at the same time, we don't want to actively discourage people and say that the corporate world is not for them after listening to this podcast. Yeah. Of course, if we have that much power over you, please rethink your life choices. But at the same time, don't go on and expect that the corporate world is going to be horrific. There are good things and there are bad things. But at the same time, the corporate structure as we know it is changing fundamentally. So we've seen a dramatic change in the way that we conduct business in real life with the pandemic. Before Zoom used to be like, oh, I got to go on a Zoom call. Great. Well, why can't we just meet up? Like I'll take a flight or whatever. But now it's all it's the norm. So you, no one's ever going to double like look at you again if you say, oh, I'm not feeling it. You guys just want to do a Zoom call instead. So yeah, it's, that, that a, it's a change. That's going to happen soon. Um, so yeah. But because um, it's different, right? You're not going to. So offices are already companies are already realizing that. Wait a minute. We can cut a tremendous amount of cost by just moving everyone over to Zoom. Now, while this is great, I don't know about you, but I don't want to work the rest of my life over Zoom. So there are trade-offs and there are benefits. And whether these are good or bad, we cannot actively tell because we do not actively know. So that's a little food for thought. Um, I don't know if we've beaten the subject to death or not, but yeah. Sonny, what do you okay, think? Okay, one more, one more thing I want wait. There was one more thing I wanted to talk about before we close this out. Uh, Oh yeah, the the topic was a small subtopic is um, why do Americans hustle so much or like work so much? And why why is work is kind of like our our main thing in life while others like European societies, especially um, I I would say probably Netherlands, Finland, um, they talk about like making sure you limit your work and have more leisure time. Um, So should we reduce our work? Um, how can we reduce our work in a way that's sustainable? Um, or how can we get that work-life balance, I guess? Hmm, interesting. So should we reduce our work? Yeah. Can we? Well, if you're being paid hourly, no. Because mm-hmm. for a lot of Americans, hourly work is livelihood. So you, this goes back to our previous conversation. Money is not the penultimate goal, but you damn well need money to survive. Absolutely, yeah. So if taking time off of my work to partake in my hobby means that I'm losing out on money, that could be very much more adverse than me just working and losing a bit of enjoyment, or at least I would argue. Because in my mind, I would be thinking, and by no means am I working like a mule, but as a part-time worker, I technically do fall into the poverty line. And there is a sad reality that even though I'm just a student worker, but there are people who are living on the salary that I'm getting as a, as a part job, part-time job. So I couldn't imagine um, leaving work from choice, but having a family and having responsibilities to take care of. Because one of the reasons that we hustle so much is because we place familial familial values and familial support and stability way higher than a lot of other people may. Now, I don't know what the views of the Netherlands are. I don't know what the views of a lot of Europeans are, purely because I'm not European, I'm American. But something that I have grown up on and something that I have seen for quite a bit of time has been a big emphasis on the family 
and doing your part towards contributing towards the family. So a lot of times you cannot rest until you've taken care of your responsibilities. And by the time you finish taking care of your responsibilities, your time to rest is over and you need to go right back to it. So we're caught in a catch-22 because no matter... What's up? Sorry, there was one thing. And also I think there's a trap um, in our current society where it's like you have to work that much in order to even make a decent living. Yeah, I mean, the minimum wage. I mean, listen, I don't want to get too political because this podcast is all about mindfulness and making your own perspective. But there are certain practices that are fundamentally imbued within our government that have no reason, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, to be so deeply ingrained. So I want to talk a little bit about the idea of universal health care. I am not going to name specifics. I am not going to name politics. However, I do want to point out that it is a standard in many other countries across the world. So think about, just think about it and question yourself as to why the United States, being the global superpower that it is, cannot afford, quote unquote, or give importance to the idea of universal health care or agree on certain things. I want to leave that thought. I don't want to go too deep into it for the sake of avoiding political arguments and not getting into trouble. But it's something that we find really interesting and it is a bipartisan issue for different reasons, but I'm just gonna leave it there just as food for thought. So that's a little something to think about, but Sonny, what do you think about that? Uh, Yeah, I think universal healthcare is a pretty difficult issue to solve because it has to do with capitalism and, and uh, existing companies that have interests and you know if you're on one side of the aisle um obviously something's going to happen where it doesn't benefit you and vice versa um so it's going to be tough that that it's all about compromise um but yeah probably another topic for another day so we can leave our readers uh our listeners with some some thoughts Um, final thoughts to close out the podcast um yeah. Um, well, yeah. Oh. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, sir. So listen, we had a good conversation today. Uh, we talked a lot about modern philosophy versus ancient philosophy and how the notion of philosophy is changing as we progress in a society. And we, ex- we expanded that thought out towards the idea of work and the role of experience in today's society. So we've noted that there is a difference in the way that we gain experience and how standards are changing fundamentally throughout society and throughout what is expected from people in society. And we placed an emphasis on college students and the idea of internships and gaining experience. And we also talked about the idea of superiority, perceived superiority of prestige in the college system in the United States, as well as the high school system to a degree. So what we wanna talk about, or what we wanna kind of leave our readers out, or what I wanna do at least, is I want people to think about what it truly means to diverge or potentially diverge away from these traditionalistic points of views. Because the idea is that society is continuously evolving and we do not want to get stuck on a certain level and inhibit progress. Now, the pandemic has caused us to really think about a couple of things in our lives and really has kind of influenced me personally to reevaluate and just stop and take a moment and think about what it means to be philosophical in this modern life. So I think one of the most important takeaways from today is be mindful of the society that we live in and keep an an eye out for 
certain things that make you think critically as it stimulates your brain and you want to keep that mind flow going, or should I say fluxus animo? Yeah. Uh, in addition, I also wanted to close out and say thank you for listening to those who are going to listen to this first podcast session. Um, we talked about a lot of stuff and if it was seemingly disjointed towards the end is that's because where the mind flow started a lot more um, and we were going well, we never really had a script, but we were going off script <laughs> from our minds uh, in addition. So um, yeah, and that's, that's how, how one, yeah. Sorry, yeah, sorry. That's how the best conversation goes through, right? Yeah. You don't want to constrain yourself to certain boundaries when you don't have to. So why not tune in and let our mind flow guide yours? Absolutely. Well, with that yeah. being said, I think this would be a great place to end it off, Sonny. Um, this has been your host. I am Chaitanya Kadamasetti, and I am here with... Sonny Gunda. Let's go. And with that being said, we hope you all have a wonderful day. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fluxus Animo Mindflow. Take care.